0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hey guys, Ryan Spreck here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume. But it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies
2: with Ryan Spread.
1: UFOs are often seen moving silently in the dead of night, piercing through darkness, attempting to tell us something. What that something may be remains elusive. But there are those rare times when directly before or after a UFO event, something just as elusive can often make its presence known. The owl is a creature unlike any other. It symbolizes many things for many people – wisdom, intuition, light, dark, life, and even death. It is a totem that allows the individual to see what is usually hidden. Could these enigmatic creatures be one of many keys to unlocking the UFO mystery? Could their almost synchronistic presence hold much more relevance than one's thought? Today, we speak to Mike Cullen, author of The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. Mike has compiled hundreds of accounts from across the world ranging from UFO sightings, contact and abduction experiences, and everything in between. He's written extensively about this topic, amongst many others, on his blog, Hidden Experience. We talk today about those experiences, and just perhaps how the owl may shed some light on these mysteriously dark phenomena. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today you're very welcome when i first heard about your work obviously everyone considers you the owl guy you google your name you type in owl or ufo and you are the first thing that always pops up and i don't see that changing anytime soon um so let's let's start with owls not in the the ufo or abduction sense but owls in general these these creatures they've taken on many you know mythic symbology throughout history uh you once stated, seen through the darkness to bring messages. Could you sort of give us a brief history of the owl throughout different cultures?
0: Well, that's easier said than done. The owl is, uh, I mean, just by its very nature, uh, an owl is intense, right? I mean, a real owl is intense, uh, especially the big owls. Little owls tend to be sort of cute and adorable, but the big ones kind of be, tend to be sort of spooky and threatening. Um, so you know we're dealing with an animal that is that has a presence people recognize that i'm convinced that the that um that the cave dwellers of our ancient ancestors if they walked out and saw an owl would have the same visceral reaction that we do now which is one of i almost want to say i mean there's something you know threatening about about an owl they're mm-hmm. they're not uh, I mean they have these huge eyes and they have uh this eerie stare, and I think that just translates into something that that taps into us at a deep level. So um so that's sort of the starting point. You know, just you know, straight up owls are intense looking. Mm-hmm. Uh the the mythologies of the owl, I mean, if you you that's all over the map, right? I mean it's a great big globe and there's owls everywhere. Um you know, it's, it's uh, you know, the Eskimos have owls and they have owls down in the jungles of Peru. So um, we all have, you know, we being, you know, the world's culture uh, collectively, we all have these owl stories that stretch back forever. Now what we're dealing with is trying to like pick out the the, the main thread that seems to connect all these. So the owls... Uh, are capable of, you know, what can only be called magic in some sense. Obviously, it's just physiology. It's their, it's their big eyes and their soft feathers, but they can see into the night. They can see into the darkness, astoundingly well. I've done a bunch of research on this, uh, and they, you know, so they have nocturnal vision, and they also have silent flight um, in a way that is, you know, quite eerie when you see an owl flying. Um, uh, so they are. You know that, that 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 ability to see into the darkness very quickly translates to um, traveling into other realms. This becomes a metaphor. You know they they travel into the darkness and then they, uh, and then they would return. the 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 ancient myths would be they would return with a message. If there if the shaman has any totem animal, it would be the owl, and that's perfect because what the the shaman would do would be to, uh, you know, go through some sort of ritual and then the shaman would travel to another realm. That ritual might be meditating or rhythmic dancing or taking some sort of psychedelic mushroom or something. But the shaman would, you know, travel to another realm metaphorically Mm – Obviously, they're just sitting in their hut when they do it, or wherever they are, and then they would return with a message. Now, that's that's the that's the symbology of the owl in a very simple way. You know what that message might be. That's up for debate. Um, <laughs> uh, that you know that can be interpreted in any number of ways. But the owl itself, as as a, as a as a physical being you know, is connected to these ancient lores. And, and, uh, and I feel strongly that these ancient lores are, are acting out present day. And you know, when I was working on the book, people would ask me, so, you know, what, are you, what, what have you been working on lately? And I'm like, well, I got this book project. Oh, what's it on? Oh, well, it's about owls. Owls, hmm, that's interesting. Well, what about owls? And then I would have to size the person up, right? Kind of check them out. Kind of go, <laughs> okay, do I drop the UFO bomb? Uh, and I was, usually said, oh, you know, it's, about, it's a book about owl mythology. Which I feel was honest, and and they'd go, "That's interesting," and then they'd kind of want to hear a little more about that. So I, my, I, the case I would argue, in that very cautious form, without introducing the UFO weirdness, uh, was that the the owl is performing the same role present day that it that it performed for ancient man, and that what I'm collecting, I mean, you're holding the book in your hand, or it's there nearby, I suspect, and. I mean it, it in many ways that book is just a collection of one story after another after another of people who have had these strange owl experiences and and I feel all those people are being genuine and 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 my sense is that people throughout the millennia people throughout all history have had odd owl experiences and and the the lore the mythos emerged from those direct experiences so um so that's, I sort of argue that, you know, what's what's taking place present day has been with us since the dawn of time.
1: Right, right. And you mentioned, um, you know, the owl experiences throughout time. Uh, you sort of described this, not so much as finding a pattern, but that it was, I believe it was in your intro, you mentioned it's more of a mood or a vibe. Um, could you sort of elaborate that on that a little bit of what it
0: means to you? Well, yeah, I mean, so you, you know, like if you know, this is owls or UFOs. We're still on owls. We're we're doing owls. Okay, you know, we're still we on will also, so owls. Go yeah, deep so, in the UFOs. <laughs> you know, like I feel like I'm an like I'm an artist and an illustrator rather than a than a scientist or a or a academic, right? right. So I'm I'm working off my gut, you know. So so you hear two stories back to back, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they like like I'm I'm tapping into the right the 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 mood of these stories. You know, the story might not be the same exact story, but it has that similar vibe. I mean, I often refer back to the campfire story, like the eerie campfire story. You know, often those those stories don't have an ending. You know, they're just meant to be evocative of a mood. And and I find that the owl experiences, uh, especially, you know, so owls show up at the point of death. People see owls at funerals. People will have an owl land on their window and then find out that, you know— a sibling or a family member or a parent died at that, at that moment that the owl was there shortly after. So owls are, you know, on a very, that, that's very common that the, the death imagery and the, um, the connection with the passing on, especially of a loved one. So, uh, And that's right interwoven into the mystique and folklore and mythology of the owls. So, you know, you might hear two stories and an academic may say, well, you know, I put this on the spreadsheet and I check this box here and I check this box here and you look at the columns, they don't line up. So they're not the same story. You know, I don't know why you're comparing and contrasting these two stories. And I'm like, no, no, but these stories have a similar tenor, you know, there's a flavor to them. It's like saying, you know, uh, how to you know like two forms of music might come from you know two different sections of the of the of the uh record store but you know there's a there's a similarity to the music uh and that's that's not up to a you don't have to catalog that and 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 dissect it with the eyes of a scientist you sort of have to step back and do it at an intuitive level Mm
1: -hmm. um yeah i mean relating to that uh you mentioned in the book about the allure of vowels in uh in cinema or media and i know you and i on occasion have contacted one another when we've seen owls in movies or uh in the background of things um what do you think this means in terms of uh the way art or uh i guess hollywood or show business what does it mean to them when you see these symbols in the movies or does it take on many different forms
0: well you know i mean i mean that's you have a haunted house movie, right? And then, you, you know, the person approaches the haunted house and there's an owl hooting in the distance, right? You just hear the heard on the soundtrack. It's, you know, there's no one had to plan that out. You know, it wasn't like a conspiracy of 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 people trying to indoctrinate, you know, the, the populace. Mm-hmm. That was just the guy in the editing room who went and got a stock bit of audio footage or audio uh, of, of an owl hooting and just overlaid it into the movie. Uh, now... That's So this is happening in 20th century, 21st century. You know, owls are showing up in in spooky, you know, the, like little kids have, uh, you know, owl decorations that show up in their elementary school. Thumbtack to the bulletin board on Halloween. You know, this is happening present day. Now, you go back. I mean, the Bible has owls in it. Mm-hmm. And I've carefully looked at those and tried to pull out the symbology of those owls. And and it's a little murky, you know. Like I don't sense any deeper meaning. It it seems to have the same meaning as the uh uh you know owl in the haunted house movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just there's a great owl cameo in um the Bride of Frankenstein. You know early on in the film uh there just there's this owl shows up and it just flies into the scene and sits on a little uh, it's in a barn or like the basement of an old mill, and uh. And uh, it's right before a woman dies, you know, she gets – and so it, it – uh, you know, there it is. There's the haunted house movie. There's the death symbology. It's like meant to be a, uh, like a set piece in a spooky, you know, in a spooky bit of entertainment, you know. And, and it plays that way in the Bible too where these owls show up. They don't really – they're not really there. Symbolizing anything, they're not really key to the story. They're sort of used as a set piece. People will talk about how barren the desert is, and then they say it's a place of owls, mm-hmm. which is you know that's um that's like how spooky the forest is. It's a it's a place of owls. That's the haunted house version. So, you know, I think that that so this is this is over two thousand years. This is the owl has had the same lore, right? And I think that I think the the darkness meant a whole that meant something totally different in the era before the electric light. You know?
1: Yeah, um, well, in terms of your research of the owl experiences, Mike, uh, this is a question from one of our listeners. Actually, have you noticed any specific type of owl that seems to be most prominent when these experiences come up, whether
0: it be synchronistic or UFO related, or
1: uh, just owls like you mentioned earlier in general?
0: Well, I mean, not really. You know, I mean, what's you know, I mean, so there's there's a. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously it depends on where you are. You know, you, you're not going to see a, a snowy owl if you live in Florida, exactly. And you're not going to see a uh, you know a you know a barred owl if you live in in uh, Arizona. So there's these these um you know so you're you're locked into the 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 location. You know, like I'm like I've sort of given up in a way. Like you know I'm I'm you know people seeing. Uh, you know, owls at an appropriate time on a T-shirt, or like at a at a prescient moment on a on a TV ad. You know, like I I actually factor those kind of things in too. So, mm. um, yes, yeah, so there's no specific owl. Obviously, the the most iconic owl would be the great horned owl, and that's a North American owl. That's simply that owl doesn't exist over in um in europe so they have a different owl that's the eurasian eagle owl which is essentially the same thing as the as the um a bigger though that as our our uh great horned owl so you know we're dealing with um i don't know i mean just this the 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 chance how to you know like whatever the, the 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 universe is offering up something. You know, the universe is setting something in someone's path. And, mm-hmm. and you know, tiny little owls show up too. You know, these little owls, there's some a lot of owls are very small, which, mm-hmm. you know, most people don't realize. And the smaller the owl, the less likely you will see them because the more likely they are to come out at, only at night. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, people won't see a saw-wet owl. Uh, they might see a great gray owl because those are the ones that will come out um, at dusk and dawn. And people might actually get a glimpse of them.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the size of owls a little bit later, because we have a lot to talk about in terms of that. Um, What... Now, Mike, I know you've had some extremely powerful experiences, um, sort of a uh, one-defining moment of uh, just, you know, a profound experience with um, several different owls appearing all at once. Um, What is the owl alarm clock that you describe in the book? Because I know this was sort of an awakening for you. Uh, what does this term mean to you, the owl alarm clock?
0: Well, the owl as alarm clock would be, um, you know, that's just, uh, you know, like people say like, well, you know, what does owl mean? You know, and I kind of have to have an answer, right? I can't kind of just brush them off and say, oh, I don't know, which I don't know really. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, and, but what I have found is there's a pattern where the uh, the owl shows up at a point Um, and I've had a handful of people say this, you know, well, more than a handful, you know, people say that, you know, that they had sort of an awakening experience or the owl set them on a path. And that was certainly true of my case where I saw a bunch of owls. This would have been 2006. I was camping, uh, two separate camping events, right? So Mm -hmm. just only a few days apart, um, the same mountain range, but not in the same location. Um, and, as the sun was setting, you know, me and the person I was camping with, her name is Kristen. We saw three owls at sunset. Uh, a few days later, we saw the same thing happen: three owls at sunset. I'm convinced are the same three owls, even though we weren't in the same spot. Um, in that moment, seeing those owls, um, I had the I had the the very clear thought that this has something to do with UFOs, and and it was it was. It was that event, you know, when you get right down to it, it's not that exciting of an event, right? You know, like, oh, some owls flew around and I landed, which is unusual, mm-hmm. very unusual. But it's not like, you know, it's not like the, the heavens opened up and, you know, the angels, you know, came down or something like that. It was just, you know, these were normal owls in a, in a setting where owls, you know, were certainly around. But the impact it had on me was really profound. It, it, it set me on the journey that I'm on now, the journey that created that book and the journey that I'm, that I'm you know, still continuing as I, as I talk to you now and I answer letters and talk to other people who have had these experiences. Uh, so, I mean, you know, very simply, an alarm clock wakes you up, right? So, so if someone's asleep, you know, just uh, you know, nudging them may not wake them. And shaking them, you know, may not wake them either. So if someone's really asleep, uh, you send in the owls. And that's kind of my sense. And, and it would have to be for a specific reason. Like, for, sp- it seems like the owls are connected to something. And, and it's, it's a little elusive what they're connected to. And, and they may be, one, one way to look at it is the owl may be the totem of the trans of a transformative process, right? So the change. So from being asleep to being awake would be a change. And not in that, you know, whatever, getting up in the morning kind of thing. I'm talking at a more deep spiritual level, being awake to a deeper reality. And uh, and that's that's what the owl resonates mm-hmm. for me after after sort of wallowing in this research for all these years.
1: Right. And I know you personally struggled for a long time with uh Several experiences you had uh, involving possible contact um, with UFO occupants, uh, UFOs in general, and do you so you sort of consider this uh, this event of 2006 with the owls a
0: culmination of um,
1: of that? It's somehow connected. Is that am I am I sort of yeah yeah? I
0: mean, up until that point, I had been completely denying these events. I mean, if I told the events, they they sound exactly like what anyone who's ever read a UFO abduction book. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the missing time, seeing aliens in the, you know, out a window in a yard, uh, you know, seeing UFOs at close range, you know, so I had these experiences growing up, and well into my, and one event took place in my 30s, mm-hmm. or as I was 30 years old, and um, and I managed to just deny all that, just push it all away, and just ignore it, and deny it, but I'll have to say at the same time, that stuff was bubbling over, a little pressure cooker, you know, like the was just set on simmer and slowly 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 got hotter and hotter and there came a point when um there was sort of a crack in the dam and that was the 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 owls were that crack in the dam and after that the dam burst and i and i set off on my own journey of self-exploration where i really said you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out i didn't figure it out Mm um i i'm i'm uh just as baffled in a way now as I was at any point along the thing, but I do feel like I'm uh, I feel like I've got a clearer sense of what, of who I am in all this in in the sense that, you know, it uh, you know, like I I feel that the events that I described and and denied I'm no longer denying. (laughs) I feel those really happened and the, and the, the implication is exactly what they appear to be.
1: Right. huge stuff for any experiencer, I can only imagine. Um, So where, where in the grand scheme of things does synchronicity play into this, you know, being the second, you know, sort of subtitle of the book? um, Could you briefly go over what what synchronicity is, um, where the term sort of came from, and how it leads into, uh, into the whole owl connection?
0: Well, synchronicity is a term that was coined by Carl Jung, and I think in the 1920s he was uh, was coined due to a series of uh, experiences that he had in conjunction with a physicist named Wolfgang Pauli. Um, the uh, the simplest definition of synchronicity would be a coincidence that is meaningful to the observer. And you know, there's there's run of the mill coincidences, right? Then stuff is going to happen all the time, you know. But there's coincidences that take on a deeper, meaningful aspect. And um, oftentimes it's very difficult to explain those to people. It's sort of like explaining a dream, you know, like, Oh my God, this thing happened. And right then this happened. And then you try to explain it. And it's so subjective that, that, you, that the people just kind of roll their eyes and can't follow you. And, um, and I recognize that that's almost inherent in what a synchronicity might, you know, be it's, it's meant for the individual, uh, um, I spoke with a friend of mine. This is going back a few years ago, and I kind of was on my high horse, and I'd been doing a bunch of research. And it's one of the questions I ask, you know, people who've had the UFO contact experience or UFO abductees or whatever term you want to use, experiencers. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, hey, so what what about synchronicities? Do you have synchronicities in your life? And they usually just roll their eyes, like in like the like you like it's like, you know, it's like trying to ask a fish if it, if it ever experiences water, mm-hmm. um. So, you know, I, I said, you know, like, um, so I said to my friend, I said, you know, I, I, people have the UFO contact experience. They have more synchronicities than than the normal folks and Joe normal. <laughs> she looked at me and she rolled her eyes and she said, you know, anyone on a spiritual path will have more synchronicities. And immediately I recognized she was right. And, you know, the next step, the next, you know, if that's the case, then UFO abduction is a spiritual path, and so I kind of equate UFO abduction as a spiritual path. I mean, UFO. I earlier I said the owl is the totem animal of the transformative experience, and you I mean you know, transformative experience can be a shamanic initiation, it can be uh, a powerful meditation, it can be a near-death experience, or it can be death itself. I mean, and and I also will argue that. You know the the UFO contact experience is transformative by its nature by its intent. It is it transforms the individual not right away maybe over decades maybe over a lifetime but the individual will be transformed and but this synchronicity would be just uh, I mean and it's also you know people use that overuse that word a lot and I'm sure I do too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people will say like, "Oh my God, I had a dream, and I dreamed in the dream that 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 uh, you know, I was going to see an owl on the ride to work today, and I did see an owl." Isn't that a powerful synchronicity? And like, well, that's, that's technically not a synchronicity; it's a premonition. <laughs> so those are different. So synchronicity is when uh, you know there's a there's a coincidence. You know, so um, that's not a coincidence. So you you know so so. Both of those can be powerful and mystical experiences, but they—they they, one sh- one's called a, a premonition and one's called a synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: now, you had a pretty powerful, I, I guess, coincidence happen in researching synchronicity. You spoke to uh, Dr. Surprise, and could you give us, you know, sort of the background of how you came to find his work and just exactly what happened when you looked further into his work and found some... Yearly, similar. uh, (laughs) Well, this actually,
0: yeah, it it turned into a whole chapter of the book. Yeah, like I was kind of, and it was great. It was blew me away because I, 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 um, I, I heard him on a podcast. He had a book. He was promoting a book. Straight up, he'd written a book. He's promoting it. He's doing the podcast scene. You know, he's talking about um his book. The book title of the book is Synchronicity. His name is Doctor Kirby Surprise, which is a great name. (laughs) Um, and uh, you know, he got a real thoughtful set of ideas about the source of synchronicity his his he argues that the observer the individual is creating the synchronicity that we as individuals our consciousness our intention can affect reality so so you take a um uh, you know, in a scientific experiment, you know, someone rolls a dice, right? And then they do it a hundred times. And then they're trying to create a, you know, get more, one one number series more than another. Um, it should be random, right? They flip a coin. They do it a hundred times. They try to get heads more than tails. It should be random. It's not. What happens is that that people will get you know, if they want heads more than tails, they'll get heads more than tails. And this has been known in the sciences for nearly 100 years. And nobody wants to, like, really, you know, tackle this one. The implication is that that the individual, the guy flipping the coin is affecting reality. He's affecting the way the coin lands. And the same thing could be said of synchronicity. The individual according to Dr. Kirby's surprise, I'm a little I like the magical aspect of it. He's mm-hmm. he says it's welling up from the, the the person. So um so I call him up or excuse me, I send him an email and, and I say, uh, I'm paraphrasing this from memory, it's in the book. Uh, verbatim from the from the actual email and i say um listen i'm doing this research i've had these ufo experiences i'm i'm talking to a lot of ufo contactees and experiencers and from from what i can uh glean they're having more you or more synchronicities than than the rest of the population and he gets back to me He says you know uh i've had my drone direct experience with ufos and and uh and that's not how it works and I'm like, wait a minute, the guy who writes a book about synchronicity says he's had his own UFO experiences, and he writes a book about synchronicity, and, and he's kind of proving my point, right, that they're connected. And right. so, so I kind of like said as much in the follow-up letter, and he's kind of like, okay, look, you just get the book, read the book, and let's talk. So I got the book, I read the book, and I can't remember what page it's on. It's like on page, you know, 226, you know, so I turn the page, I get to this thing, and I scroll down, and he's describing how uh, the individual – can, can uh, ask synchronicity, you know, just like ask of the universe, just ask for synchronicity to present itself and, and manifest synchronicities. You can just ask, and that's his argument. And so I read on, and this is all very interesting, and he, and he says, I like to make owls. Ooh. So the guy who has the UFO experience, who writes a book on synchronicities, when he wants to manifest his own synchronicities, he creates owl synchronicities. <laughs> I literally dropped out of the chair when he said that. So I get a hold of him and we talk and and uh, now his now I'm very cautious to how I mean. So someone has given me permission to tell their story. So I'm I, I need to be I need to honor that and of and his UFO experiences are very interesting. They're very subtle. They're not you know what you would see on a late night um, you know exploitative. Cable TV documentary. Okay. So he's had experiences in his youth. He started meditating when he was nine and has, has been actively meditating ever since. And he, in his early twenties was, and he said it was, he felt like he was in communication with some higher form of intelligence. Presently he feels that's his own intelligence that he was, that he was interacting with basically interacting with his own higher self. At the time, he didn't think that. Uh, at the time, he felt, you know, it must be an outside source, and the only thing that made sense was, you know, aliens on board a flying saucer. So he would go out at night and and try to contact these things, and, and little dots in the sky, little eerie lights would appear. And now, in, in his, he'd have his friends. He'd say, okay, there's going to be a little, little dot in the sky. It's going to appear right over there. We're going to have a UFO. And then sure enough, it would happen. He would frighten his friends. And um, so so those were his experiences. Now, when I asked into talking with him, you know, he was, he said, listen, you, like I described my life, like, Oh my God, I'm just immersing myself. I've just like thrown myself into this owl UFO thing. And it's my own experience. And I'm trying to make sense of it. And I'm wrestling with it. And I'm reaching out to anyone. And, and he said, listen, you're putting a lot of intention into that. And it, and this is how reality works. Reality will reflect that back. And and you should expect to have synchronicities. You are manifesting synchronicities. And I had to think like well like did I actually manifest Kirby's surprise I and mean, he's the perfect person <laughs> to like to bat these ideas around with and we actually talked on Halloween night of all nights, which is just perfect yeah. um so so yeah so he he's a very thoughtful guy very smart thinker and and um and a clinician at the same time very mystical in the way he he frames these ideas, which was a perfect match for the way I am more comfortable framing these things so yeah, so, so, uh, the guy who writes the book about synchronicity, you know, uh, gets his own chapter in, in my book on UFOs and owls. And, uh, and I mean, obviously I can't, I can't, uh, paraphrase the entire chapter, but, but his ideas and his very thoughtful outlook, uh, you know, helped me a lot along my way in this journey. Wow.
1: Yeah, that was, that chapter struck me, uh, more than most and really put the synchronicity at the forefront and sort of delineating between coincidence and synchronicity excuse me synchronicity and manifesting that um so yeah very very interesting mike i want to i want to sort of move into the most i guess controversial and uh powerful part of your book the ufo and the abductee um now, I, I do want to dive into screen memory a little bit, but before we get there, I want to go into UFOs and owls in general. Now, you have many people in your book who have experienced this, whether it was the UFO first and then owl or owl and then UFO. Could you briefly touch on that? Um, the, can, the physical, you know, tangible reality of the UFO and the
0: owl. Ugh! I wish I could sum this up succinctly. You know, like <laughs> I, I, there was someone at a conference and she kind of said, like, you know, I was at this. I saw your talk. And it was called UFOs and Owls. I had no idea what you were going to go. This didn't make any sense to me. She had no idea what she was getting into.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then afterwards, she said, "Oh, you did a nice job of summing it up." And it's like, well, it took me like two hours. Um, but uh, so there, the, there is no easy answer. So, mm-hmm. so what I have. So after my experience in 2006 I started looking into this I just got shameless I would just pick up the phone and call people and and people who had you know contact experiences uh, I would just figure out a way to get a hold of them and talk to them and now one of the questions I asked everyone like everyone researcher experiencer you know like have you ever had any odd experiences with owls not it's not 100% but it's enough that there's a a defined palpable pattern that shows up so i asked the question have you ever had any odd experiences with owls they will say you know it's funny you should ask no one's ever asked that before and i did have this really strange experience and you know sometimes it's as subtle as um there's a woman named nadine lalich and she's uh an abductee uh very f- outspoken and clear about her experiences uh, very level-headed. Be a great, she's a great spokesman for the whole cause. She's, she, you know, so she said, you know, that's funny you should ask. You know, no one's really asked me that. But there was a time when I was living in this apartment and she, was, she could just tell she was kind of like, well, this is odd. I was living in this apartment and it was right at the time I was having a lot of contact experiences and there was always an owl outside the house and outside the window and i would come home from work and there'd be an owl i mean a big owl would be right on the branch right by the door when i came home and i and that shows up you know like oh the owl would like you know i'd get up in the morning and the owl would be on the branch and i'd come home from work and the owl would be on the branch staring at me so that happens in the lives of abductees there's another guy ron johnson who has stories like that
2: mm-hmm.
0: um another way would be that uh one of the first people that contacted me in this whole research was this guy, Derek. And he said, yeah, you know, I was camping in the desert and looked up at this cactus and there was an owl. Both me and my friend, we were lying there looking up at the stars and it startled us. Really eerie, right? Owl looking down at you. You're lying on your back in the desert sand and looking up at this owl and beautiful stars behind it. And it's like, well, you know, it's like, and I know just what he means. It is eerie and the owl flies off. Moments later, a triangle UFO floats past them very silently and it's hugging the natural terrain of the landscape in this very eerie way there in this canyon and he I met him and he mimicked this 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 flight pattern and it was really you know so you could see he was kind of gritting his teeth as he was telling the story this was this was a you know weird powerful event so owls and ufos show up side by side as you said sometimes the you know the ufo show up first sometimes the owl show up first. these are real owls we're talking about these aren't the right. the screen memory aspect which we can get into in a little bit so yeah so why I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, like I spend, I, I wrestle with the, through the entire book trying to come up with the why. I still don't, you know, that's, I, I think I type why owls question mark a full sentence, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, 10 times throughout the book. And, and I never quite, you know, I, I dance around it and speculate a little bit on what it might mean. But yeah, hard to know, hard to know. But my sense, my very strong sense that these are intimately connected in some way. You know, there's a lot of UFO books out there. You know, books have been around for, you know, 30 years, and you can go and peel through, the, you know, go through those pages, and you know, big thick book might have a paragraph or two on owls. And I made an effort to dig up and look back at a lot of those, and and uh, and you know, they're they're telling these odd little stories, just like I just told, and and so the 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 seeds were there. Like I didn't invent this subject. I mean, it was already there, and I just you know I just i just dug a little deeper and put it all in one book um but uh yeah again i i don't know the reason i can say with great conviction that there is a connection i don't know what it is
1: yeah i mean and you make very uh you know startling connections between you know a silent bird in flight and a silent object in flight whether it's triangular saucer shaped uh so that
0: was very interesting. And I know, and you like, know what else happens a lot. Yeah. This, I'll do it. I'll probably do it before the, the talk is up. Yeah. Is I mean, they're both three letters. I cannot tell you how many times I, I typed them wrong. Oh, good You know, point. you're working on this book and I wanted to type owl and I would type UFO, right? Interchangeable. Yeah. yeah they're, I mean, it's <laughs> like it was just interchangeable in a way that they became, they blurred together. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. I never even thought about that
1: one. Um, well, yeah, you say, you know, there, throughout UFO literature, there, there's always that one or two paragraph, and you sort of brush past it um but i know that one individual in particular was the first to comment on your blog about that um would you mind telling us a little bit about that uh, one of the preeminent writers on the uf You're talking um, about whitley abductee yeah literature
0: whitley Strieber, yes yeah okay so whitley this is interesting so i just spoke with whitley mm-hmm. um um, he did it he I was interviewed on his show and and uh, oh my god he was so complimentary I was a little bit like whatever someone said he could hear me blushing on the over the <laughs> over the uh but um uh so his he had an so if you get the book the most important abduction book in the history of the subject is uh, is communion hands down Absolutely. um you know some people will and whatever, there's all kinds of whatever is, people some people don't buy it and some people are, are like Anyway, so I I trust the guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, If anything is his problem, if anything's working against Whitley Strieber, it's his own skill at writing. He writes so beautifully that you're holding this book in your hand. and like, is this fiction? Is this real? It's like, it's so... I mean, he's like, he's a, a, you know, uh, on a scale of... He's an A-plus writer Mm -hmm. in a field that doesn't have that very often. So, um, (laughs) uh, very early on in the book, he has he describes what we would now just call a nighttime bedroom visitation in abductions. Maybe he doesn't like, he doesn't use that word. Right. Um, I do. I just use it just because that's the vocabulary word we're, we're saddled with, you know, mm-hmm. I don't like it, but that's the one that gets used a lot. And I'm, so I'll just, so he describes a, a bedroom visitation on uh, crisp, the day after Christmas in 1985. Um, the next morning, he, he actually felt there was an owl flying around the house. So there was an owl in the house, which seemed impossible. His wife was like, oh, there no, wasn't any owl in the house last night. All the windows are closed. It's wintertime. And then he said, "Okay, oh, so the only thing it could be was the owl out the window, and it would have come through that window. I know it. And they went over to the window, and he looked, and there was fresh snow, and there was no footprints on the windowsill.
2: Hmm
0: or on the, you know, so the f- snow had fallen a few days before. So if there was an owl on that windowsill, there should have been some evidence, and there wasn't. And and when he saw that, he knew something far stranger had occurred than than just a physical owl. So somehow this memory of an owl was implanted in his mind, and that um, that in the research circles and is referred to as the screen memory which is bandied about and is very commonplace and what, what will happen is people will tell stories of driving down a lonely road at night and they turn a corner and there's a great big tall four foot tall owl standing in the middle of the road and they'll pull their car right up to it and the owl will be above the hood of the car staring in at their windshield now there's no such thing as a four foot tall owl they don't get that tall. There's no, there's no owl in the world that could stand on the road, no matter how small your car is, mm-hmm. and then stare over the hood at you. Uh, so th- they're seeing something else. That, the implication being that they're seeing a gray alien that has somehow used a psychic projection, some sort of hypnotic uh, mask, and then they, 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 the, the observer quite probably the abductee doesn't see a gray alien with big black eyes. They see a owl with big penetrating eyes. Um, And that shows up in the literature over and over again. I, I I did a chapter on screen memories and I actually tried to, I did it early in the book and I wanted to get past it because, you know, that once you wrap your mind around what the screen memory might be and how it's used, you know, what I was more interested in was was not that but the the stranger aspect of the real owl like why are these real owls showing up so no and
1: you said mike i mean you know being that it may be a quote-unquote fallible screen memory that the biggest owls often get to what two three feet maybe well is if you look at the straight reality? straight
0: google research is 33 inches the biggest owl i've ever found okay written in in you know in you know is size 33 inches and that's that's um, uh, in-flight uh, nose to tail. Mm-hmm. So that's not standing. Okay. Um, so it would be a little shorter than that. So, I mean, if you're seeing an, I mean, an owl, if you see an owl a little over one foot tall yeah. in North America, you're seeing a big owl. And there's only one owl that's, that can get that big. And that you have to be in pretty far north to see an owl that big. And that would be the great gray owl. Um. And that, uh, you know, I mean, that's not going to be that big. Mm-hmm. In no way could it be four foot tall. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe if off in the distance, you might, you know, how to accurately perceive what it might be. So, you know, there's a two and a half foot tall maybe, but yeah, very, very difficult to, to, uh, uh, you know, so what's interesting is that people will see these tall owls, these four foot tall owls, and then just dismiss them like, oh yeah, I saw a four (laughs) foot tall owl. And then they'll say it as casually as that. And then like, they'll recognize there's something odd in there. Um, uh, i made a cardboard owl that was four foot tall let me tell ya, you i stand remember. next to this thing yeah oh that's right you've actually-
2: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your
0: new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. united Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Actually held it. Yeah, you yep. stood right next to it. Yeah, you stand next to this thing, and there's no way that that you could mistake. You could, there's no way that could be real. Right. right? So owls are, you know, I mean, owls are... I mean, the hawks are bigger than owls and things like that. So eagles are bigger than owls, and there's some
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sort of bringing it back around, um, your your blog, hiddenexperience.blogspot, dot um, you wrote about the owl and the UFO abductee, and out of nowhere, Mister Streber was the first to comment on the blog. I mean, that's pretty.
0: You know, this is – it's very interesting. Right there, yeah. Right so, so the very first day of the blog's incarnation, I put three stories up. One of the stories was the uh, – uh, it was titled Owls at Sunset. You can just scroll back right to the very beginning to the blog and there's the very first day which is March. Good God, it's got to be around – right around the deck, right around – I think it's March 5th or something like that. That's oh, wow. right around here. So that was – it's seven years now. It's 2006. That was 2009 or 2016 and now it's 2009. Yeah. Yep. Um wow, seven years of the Blog's incarnation. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, yeah, Lucky
1: oh my Lucky number yeah. seven.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh Yeah, so the very first day Whitley Streeper commented, I found out afterwards that it was Mac Toney's, uh researcher out of St. Louis, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. who was on Twitter at the time. And somehow he had gotten on the shared Twitter feed with Whitley, and then, and then he had commented that, "Oh, there's a, there's this cool set of articles." And so Whitley read the Owls at Sunset thing, and and commented on it on the very first day, mm-hmm. which is bizarre, right? I mean, you know, you start a blog and then like it's the very very first day. Mm-hmm. That's the, you know. So I remember. Um, And his comment was sort of it was actually poetic and cryptic. And I actually, you know, he and I've I've Whitley had a chat room thing that he used to do on Wednesday nights on his subscriber site, and and I would gonna go in the chat room and he I think is capable of just zipping off like a three sentence little reply that is so heavy and laden with deep meaning. And I I think he just does that. I don't think he can help it, you know? Yeah. I think he's, when he's in the toothpaste aisle, trying to pick out, you know, like, which toothpaste to get, he's probably, you know, it's it's probably equally as laden with with deep meaning. and, And, you know, when he has the conversation with the, you know, the checkout girl about, you know, like, you know, does he want paper or plastic, you know, he's probably equally as powerful as a uh, 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 communicator. But um, yeah, so, so he made a comment about, um, you know, God and owls coming in threes and, and, a deeper meaning and being surrendered to God. And it comes across as very poetic. And I included that in the book too. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, sort of tying it back to um, just the UFO experience uh, in specific, like uh, you refer to Joe Mentaldo, UFO researcher, who claims that UFO sightings can often be a trigger to other events having happened to a witness. Um, now, do you necessarily agree with this? Uh, if so, what do you what do you think that means? You know, what is is one event a trigger to past events? I guess.
0: Well, you know, I mean, like so. He, the way Joe Montaldo argues this is that you know the 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 owl is there as a marker. Okay right? So, so the owl is marking the occasion. And so if you have a, an event, right, you're driving down the road at night and then suddenly, uh, you know, something weird happens. We see a great big owl and then, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, later you might use that owl. It's like, you know, there was that night I saw the owl. There was something unusual about that night. You may, that may be the starting point for your own Mm self-examination um now uh so he says that these he basically he basically argues that that the like he says et doesn't need to 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 make himself known right He, he can do everything using complete stealth the 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 flying saucers can be completely cloaked, and no one ever needs to see them. The the techniques of of uh, mind control and erasing someone's memory can be so perfect and so streamlined and so complete that no one ever needs to see the the uh, the, the aliens. Yeah. So if they're being seen, it is because they want to be seen. Now I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but that's his argument. Um. So, so his sense is if they if we're if we're remembering an owl. People are seeing an owl and remembering an owl. It is happening for a reason. They want that memory to be in place for some reason. He senses it's to to trigger uh, a later form of examination, self-examination, or to as a marker of like the point when when an event may have occurred.
1: Mm. Interesting. Now, would this would this connect to what
0: you consider the maybe people? Well, the maybe people is it's actually sort of a so, um, you know, you talk to these folks, you know, you, you're like, oh gosh, so what happened? Well, I was out, you know, I was like, you know, camping in the desert, and I saw this this owl, and then I saw this UFO, and then the UFO flew over, and like, it's like, okay, well, that's interesting, and then you kind of listen to their story, and it's like, what do you think you've ever had? Do you think you've ever been abducted? And I'll say, I'll ask it straight out, and I'll say, oh no, <laughs> nope, never been abducted, not not me, never happened. Then you'll talk to them for a little while, and they'll have other odd stories. And they'll say, you know, I had a spiritual awakening, or they'll say, um, you know, I, I had uh, these vivid dreams that that played out like contact events. Now, none of that is proof, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't. I, so my sense is that there's a there's a there's a lesser tier on the ladder, one rung down from abductee people, are still influenced seemingly influenced by some outside force, but they don't have that pop culture experience of being taken on board a flying saucer and put on the table, you know, they, that that may never have happened. But still, these people are out there, they're playing a role. And then you talk to these people deeper and then they're like, what do you do? I'm oh, like, oh, I'm a Reiki therapist. Or, you know, they do, or like, oh, I'm an artist. You know, they, they have these, oh, you know, there's these things that seem to show up in the research. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just me that I'm like, drawing these people in but the reiki therapy thing is out of control i mean it feels like you know half the people i talk to are reiki therapists who've had these experiences so so the maybe people are the like 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 if someone doesn't say they're if someone said like if they don't say they're a ufo abductee it ain't my job to to call them that you Mm -hmm. know like that's up to them and um, i might suspect as much and i would even argue that some percentage perhaps yeah perhaps a high percentage of the people in the book that I call maybe people are actually experiencers abductees that simply don't remember their contact experience but without without doing the proper research and without you know I mean I would just how would I how would you prove that you can't you know so so I'm I'm left with this sense that there's a there's a um there's a there's a a lesser rung in the ladder but still, these people are are they've experienced something. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I know you personally haven't uh, chosen to take the hypnotic regression approach. Oh,
0: right? oh I have. I've tried it a few you, times. You have?
1: Okay. Oh yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Three times I've tried it on for for uh, the contact experience stuff, and and each time I'm unsuccessful. Once with Leo oh, Sprinkle, okay. once with Barbara Lamb, and once with Bud Hopkins. So
2: oh, wow.
1: Um now do you see this as a viable option for many experiencers? Do you do you think it is of value and uh and actually works to, you know, bring these experiences forward? I, I guess what I'm asking I'm, is I do you exactly see it as a healthy asking. way of um dealing with these experiences.
0: You know, my sense is you should probably exhaust other avenues first. Okay. Before jumping on the hypnotherapist couch. Um you know, I also like I I talk to people all the time. I talk to people all the time. Mm-hmm. And and I I bet you it is like 1% of the people I talk to have actually been through hypnotic regression for this type of thing. And and that's that's um you know, that's that's contrary to what the popular culture is. They think that everyone, you know, the, oh, the only reason you can ever, you know, there's people who would argue with Jeff Ritzman and, and, uh, Jeremy Vaney would argue that it's the, you know, the, the hypnotherapists who've, who've polluted the pool, uh, and, and, you know, given all these stories, in my sense is, you know, like we don't need, I mean, like, there's plenty of evidence out there. People have remembered all kinds of things without hypnosis. Right. I know um,
1: Kathleen Martin's done a lot of research into that,
0: you know. Yeah. And people, so that's even, but Hopkins kind of rolled his eyes and said, you know, a lot of people show up in my office, you know, they don't need hypnosis. They got all kinds of conscious memory. We don't yeah. need to prove anything. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, you know, it's a tool, I guess it can be used prudently and, you know, it can be used irresponsibly you know, that's, that's a, subjective argument you know like which is you know how we're on the continuum you know like one end is a responsible hypnotherapy and one end is is irresponsible hypnotherapy i mean where in the line does it fall you know i mean you know every case is different every individual is different every you know person trying to make a judgment call is going to be different so sure i bet you there's been some sloppy things taking place i bet you now you know i've talked to a lot of people who've gone through hypnotherapy and then you ask them like well how was it you know like and they say i didn't believe it didn't buy it I, I've run across
1: that many times myself, yeah.
0: And that doesn't make it into the literature, you know? Like, it seems like, you know, they, they, there's this illusion that you have this hypnotherapy thing, and you're all of a sudden you're, like, there's this, like, little, you know, the magic wand gets tapped <laughs> of your head, and there's this, like, Disney ping noise, and all of a sudden you have all your memories back, and it, it, it don't work that way. Exactly. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I...
1: I mean, it's true. I would
0: do it. And in fact, I'm, there's going to be a day when I'll probably give, you know, give into it. And I'll, quite honestly, like the, the some of the events that I had were really scary. Since then, I've had a couple other events that weren't as scary. And so mm-hmm. they don't have the big, they, like it's a little easier to, like, like, oh, I'll just investigate that that one because it's not as scary. That one over there that happened at night it was super spooky and like, yeah, 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 it freaked me out. And I it haunted me for years. And then I had this other thing back in March of 2013. And it's like, you know, that was kind of nice. It was kind of pleasant. You know, didn't have any, there's no associated baggage to that one you know i don't have any so yeah yeah i don't know
1: it's hard i i spoke to a woman a week ago who had an initial experience and she thought it was the only one and you know she came to me a week later and she's struggling to make a decision with her husband you know i i wanna i want to go under i want to Sort of find out what happened. She has glimpses of a second experience, but she's terrified to find out what it might be. So, again, when these things become deeply traumatic, uh, every hypnotherapist I've spoken to who deal with abductees or experiencers, they all say the same thing. Look, if you're having a traumatic experience, Seek actual therapy first or find what works for you. If not, we're here to talk to you. So, like you said, there's not this magic wand that brings everything to the surface. Um, every hypnotherapist I've spoken to is very responsible and they look out for the person first and foremost. So, um, yeah, yeah. As, I, as long I, yeah. as you're smart about it, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely I mean, a viable option.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a hypnotherapy session where it was a past life regression. It was very therapeutic,
2: mm-hmm.
0: very therapeutic for some like emotional issues that you know may or may not be tied into this this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it was just this this story emerged of a life that I lived in the 1920s or the 19 teens. It was hard to pinpoint exactly. And you know, and it was I like, died under crappy circumstances. And you know, that maybe the baggage from that previous life is like kind of lingering and causing problems in this life um, that said you know like i don't know if it actually happened i do know that it was very therapeutic to go through the process of, of examining this this set of hypnotically induced memories they may are they real memories from previous life i have no idea i what i can say is that the that the uh that the the result of the procedure was powerfully therapeutic now while lying there on the this is in the, in the hypnotherapist, her name is um, Lorraine Flaherty and she's out of uh, London while lying, sitting there on her like recliner couch thing there. And, and uh, you know, she, she addressed the UFO stuff. Mm-hmm. She said, okay, and we're going to talk about the UFO thing now. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, so, you know, what's, what, 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 what does your higher self need to tell you? That's how she, that's how she phrased it. Yeah. She said and in my house, and like my answer was, this is real. This is really happening. It really happened. It's like, okay, now if you could ask the, like, so like, you know, and why is this happening? And my response was, because it's important.
1: Mm.
0: And it was this little kind of thing where she would say, and why are they doing this? Why are they taking you? Because they have to. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was so that my sense is that whatever's going on and I'm whatever, like I could have been making this up or I don't know. So I don't have complete trust in it, you know, but it was, uh, you know, it painted something, you know, it wasn't like, you know, they're taking my sperm to make hybrids, you know, that kind of thing. It did, yeah. That's not the answer I gave. The answer I gave was, you know, why are they here? The answer was it's important. So I, I do recognize that there's, a, there's something heavy about this experience. Right. And it's, you know, the
1: continuing of the journey, you know, to find those answers, I would assume. Um, I I know, Mike, you had an experience uh, outside your bedroom window with the the quote-unquote greys. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I know throughout the book you also spoke to others who have uh, come into contact with the greys, and they have this sense of uh, maybe the odds factor or some sense of, okay... I'm shutting down, you know, what, what do you, what do you perceive this as, you know, this calmness that comes over in such a, uh, <laughs> not calm moment as it were?
0: Well, yeah. So, so I had a, um, experience. This would have been in the winter of 92, 93, mm-hmm. uh, January or February 93. I was living in rural Maine. I woke up in the middle of the night. There was a bright light shining in the bedroom window. I sat up in bed. I looked out the window and there were five Spindly gray aliens walking towards the house, and they were backlit by this bright light. Now, you know that's sh- that's frightening, right? I should have freaked yeah. out. I should have got up. I should have locked the door. I should have grabbed a baseball bat, and um, but I didn't. I heard this calm voice in my head say, "Oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down." And that's exactly what I did. I mean, I probably saw this for thirty seconds, and and but the associated with that was a weird sense it was it's it's accurate to say it was dreamlike it's not accurate to say it was to dream um it was very vivid there's sort of head in the fishbowl quality to the thing very clear very quiet and this is reported in close-up ufo sightings this quietness People people don't say the UFO is quiet. They say everything was quiet. They say the b- birds chirping and the crickets, you know, were quiet. The leaves rustling were quiet. There was no traffic noise coming from the road nearby. Um, you know, so, so they're not describing a silent craft. They're describing an alternate, um, you know, a reality. Somehow reality itself is altered And, and there's this eerie stillness that's associated with this, these things. And in an an eerie stillness would be an accurate way to describe what, you know, what I felt. Uh, There's a woman, her name is Bridget Barkley. She lives in, uh, she's a, she's an experiencer from England. And I had a conversation with her and said like, well, how would you describe this? And she said, you know, I, I, um, I don't even think I said, would you, how would you describe what we're talking about, you know, the, was, she's had some close-up experiences and she said you know you take two magnets and and you could they click together right and then you pull them apart and you twist them around so their polarities are opposite and there's this kind of you know you try to push them together and there's kind of this warbling i'm doing it with my hands right now you can't see obviously but i'm pushing my hands together and they're kind of warbling a little bit and they can't quite click together and there's this kind of undulating distorted energy that's between the, the magnets, right? Hmm. You can you know exactly what I'm saying, right? Yep, yep, yep. So she says, being close to the UFO is like being in between those magnets. Hmm. And when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I you, I you know, I know. I know you, you and I have experienced the same thing. That's perfect. That's perfect. Hmm. Um, now, I've had that same experience four times total. Oh, wow. So, and all of those were related to other experiences that that were connected to UFOs. One of them was a dream. Uh, uh, and then the, um, so I was quick, you know, at the time in 2000 and excuse me, 1993 and that winter, the next morning I just got up and said, Oh God, I had a vivid dream. Like, you never even bothered to go out and look in the snow to see if there's any footprints. Uh, why would I? It was impossible. It couldn't have happened. But um, I'll tell you the dream. So the dream, which I didn't put in the book, but I've written about it, and I did a little drawing of it too. So it's totally a dream. It's a dream. It's not like don't <laughs> uh, don't think it's anything else. So and I and I feel like the dream was somehow projected into my psyche, like it was stage managed from some outside source. I feel this very strongly. Uh, I uh, visiting my brother. My brother says, "Hey, you know, like I'm doing this government work, and I probably I'm not supposed to talk about it and stuff like that. But you know, I ain't got this thing. You'd probably be interested. Let's go in the garage. I want to show you this thing." So we walk in through his house, and we walk through the door in his kitchen, and go into his garage. The garage door is down, like the garage is all closed. And there's this little flying saucer, like propped up on on blocks on sawhorses, like right next to his car. I'm like, oh, my God, then where did you get this? And it's like, eh, you know, some guy at work had a thing and he couldn't keep it. And so now I have it. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, it's a flying saucer. How weird. He said, he said, yeah, but you can't get close to it or it distorts reality. I'm like, what? So I walked up to it, right? So as I approached it, I got about five feet away. I felt that feeling that I felt the exact palpable feeling I tried to describe earlier. I'd back away and it would, it would go away and I'd walk towards it and it would come back. And it was like a, it was like a message being delivered to my through my subconscious to my waking self because the next morning I was immediately aware that like that I know exactly why I had that dream that dream was to confirm that the the that that event in '93 was real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was funny in that, the, you know, so I go back and forth a few times and then my brother, there's like the doors open on the flying saucer and it's dark inside. You can't really see much and it's small. It's not much bigger than a van or something. He's like, yeah, you know, there's a problem. I can't get close to the thing because the weird distorted thing. But here's what I do. I take this camera and I put it on the end of a big stick and then I put it in the, in the, you know, like he takes a little digital camera and puts it on a long selfie stick kind of thing and then puts it in the door in this dark room and, and it takes pictures. And that's when I woke up. Mm. Um now my brother does not have a UFO in his a flying saucer in his garage and never did. Uh so uh but um but that that dream had a power to it and it felt like a like a like a uh, uh like it happened for a reason. Like it was um, reassuring mm-hmm. to me, that mm-hmm. dream.
1: Ah. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting dream. And you may have ostensibly created the selfie stick. <laughs> well, I'm not <laughs> it sure I didn't. I mean, it I'm not getting any royalties
0: from the selfie stick at this point. Because not yet. It?
1: Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I have a couple other listener questions here, Mike, if you don't mind, um, on the fly here. Um, in terms of the Greys, one of our listeners was wondering, do you see any connection between the Greys and... Uh, if they are considered demonic in disguise as they put it
0: well i mean you know i mean who knows what demonic in disguise means right Very you know, good so point. someone has a ufo experience in like you know 15th century you know spain they go to their you know catholic Bishop and tell the story the Catholic Bishop is going to say you had a demonic experience and it gets written down in some book and it's described as a demonic experience. And someone does painting on a mural and they, they, it shows up as a demon and Mm -hmm. you know, it may not have been that at all. It may have been a gray alien, you know, and it may have been misinterpreted as a demonic thing. Now I will also say that, that, that um, people have very dark, frightening experiences. And so uh, calling it demonic might be completely accurate in the sense that it's it's you know, the the emotional visceral reaction is exactly what you would expect from confronting a demon. Right. Um. So yeah. So there's a blurriness there that I can't answer. Um. It. You know. There's it. There's a. It, like this is where it's we're in like Google research land now. I mean, you're one click away from so much like <laughs> flooded with information. If you wanted to write a 400 page book that that gray aliens are demonic, you would have no problem filling up a great big book with available. Accounts. Right. So, you know, that's does that mean it's true? I don't think you know, like I don't know what to think as far as what may be true. I'm certainly you could make a very forceful argument and collect very credible data and accounts. Right. I I would imagine it's all through the lens that
1: you perceive the experience. You know, if you're a spiritual person, you may see it that way. If you know, if you're more of the shamanic, you know, belief system, it may be it's sort of like you said, a totem or a messenger of some sort. Um, so yeah, I, I, I and it and seems I had to be all about perception.
0: Yeah, and I had to jump way back because I, I feel like I try to perceive it from a lot of different angles in the in the book. You yes, know? and yes. so I had to step out of you know like one mind frame, which I do if I do have any mind frame. It you know like the shamanic thing was just such a tidy, clean fit right. that it, that, and as well as um, the archetype was a very clean fit for um, for the for the why of it you mm-hmm. know so um
1: going back to the owl mike are you aware one of our listeners wants to know um of any symbolism of the owl in russia or china in specific why they chose those i'm not exactly sure
0: but... i'm not sure either i'm sure I, I absolutely have to think there is i mean the 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 sh- term shaman comes from a siberian word i can't remember the name of the tribe the Inuits or the mm-hmm. native people of Siberia coined the term. I think it was called shaman, and then it somehow got translated as shaman. Mm. So, um, and then, and I know that the totem animal in that the Borat tribe—I can't—that's actually not right. The Borats. What—that's what am I saying? That's the dumb the, the movie. Um, but um, so, yeah, some tribe in in uh, in northern Russia we'll go would that, have. Yeah. Um, uh you know equated the you know that they have owl symbolism, I know they do, and they, it's associated with shamans shaman so and I'm quite certain that China, with those, you know long history has all kinds of owl symbol oh, yeah. symbology, I don't know what it is, but you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I can't answer that one very well. Sorry. No, not at
1: all. Uh, it's it's a very specific question. I'm I'm interested to look further into that. Um, did you come across any cases, Mike, where owls were heard but not seen and an event of high strangeness may have occurred? Do you remember anything in your research of that?
0: Well, sure. Yeah. So, a woman uh, on the beach with her husband. She had a stressful day. She's, you know, they're at, waiting to get seated at a restaurant, uh, like on like the ocean, and they're they're um, drinking their, their margaritas and sun is setting and she hears an owl hooting. It's like, well, I didn't know owls would come to a beach like this. And she looks around. She doesn't see anything. She looks up into the sky and there's a silvery disc-shaped craft hovering far in the sky above them. She watches it for a little while and she points it out to her husband. And and um, he uh, he he says, uh, like, you know, kind of a doubter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, she's kind of like, well, what's he going to make of this? And he says, like, well, it's very unusual. It's not making normal craft, you know, motions that would be associated with any known craft. Hmm, very interesting. And then she later uh, checks the newspapers and write in that area over that weekend, which is weird. It's like lasts for a few days. There's a series of sightings, and people are reporting, you know, classic silvery flying saucer, you know, polished aluminum flying saucer in that area. Now, uh, you know, I get that's that 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 kind of thing shows up a lot. I mean, people will say that, you know, like I've got people. Like one woman contacted me and she's like, "Oh God, I was reading your book." And this is like, since the book has come out, so this is in the last couple of months. Like, oh, I was reading your book, and then I would, you know, I would uh, as soon as I'd lie in bed and I'd open the book, there'd be this hooting out the window, mm. and I'd close the book and the hooting would stop, <laughs> and I'd open the book up and the hooting would start again, and then I would close the book and tell my husband, like, "Oh God, wake up, wake up! There's an owl right out the window, and I'm reading this owl book, isn't that weird?" And like he would like, wake up, huh, huh what, what, and there would be no hooting, yeah. And so yeah, so yeah, the hooting you know, shows up. You know, a fair amount. Yeah, there's one person, a young guy talked to who's had his own set of abduction experience, and he very clearly said, um, lying in bed, here's an owl hooting out his window, bam, the next thing you there's, there's his bed is surrounded by gray aliens. Mm. They just appear. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, the hooting is just as vital to the whole thing as, the, as seeing them themselves, you know, so. Right. Well, playing off of that, I mean,
1: you looked a lot into the work of Lindy Tucker as well with the beeping owls and the UFO connection. Um, what can you tell us about that work being done?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is, that's kind of a little bit of a long story, but uh, Lindy Tucker is a researcher. She's Canadian. She now lives in America, um, but this is back in the 70s. She was having sightings around her house, and at the same time, she was hearing this beeping noise. And uh, she went out and recorded this beeping noise in the presence of this flying craft. So she's got an audio recorder. She's with this other person. This guy's name is Christopher, which shows up a lot in the book. Don't ask me why. People named Chris show up a lot in the book, and which <laughs> is like Christopher. The first five letters is Christ. So I mean, the, the, oh, yeah. like, If you want a word heavily, you know, heavily laden with symbolism, that's it. <laughs> so she goes out. She's she does an audio recording of this of this owl. Excuse me, of this UFO. There, I just did it. Of this UFO. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And and, uh, uh, and you can, I would put a link on your site. Go to beepingufos.com. It's okay. amazing. And then there's a the little audio clips that she's she's put a whole bunch of them in a row. It's very interesting. And she has an excellent article that she was published in the MUFON Journal in the late 90s. Very important to read that. So she did very straight, Analytical clinical research on what this may have been. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this initial recording, I think it was 1976 in Orton, Ontario, uh, has this beeping noise. It sounds like a car backing up, very mechanical. Beep, beep, beep. And overlaid with that is you can hear crickets in the background, you can hear a little rustling from the wind, and you can also very clearly hear. A great horned owl now this like blew me away right because i was like so primed i was yeah. like 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 i'm waiting i'm waiting for someone to show a picture and like there's a you know like there's a ufo a flying saucer above the trees and in one of the trees you can see a little owl sitting in a branch um i don't have that picture i want that picture i'm like <laughs> waiting for it but i do have this audio i don't have it but i mean it's this audio exists um where it's an it's an owl overlaid with this odd beeping noise now things get weirder. Okay. So, so the, the, in the, oh, it's not Project Blue Book. I think it's the, um, I'm drawing a blank on that. One of the reports of the government, but the Condon Report, the Condon Report that came out in the late 60s. They, um, they said, uh, there's no, you can't listen to anything. But they said, we analyzed a bunch of supposed recordings of UFOs, and we've come to the conclusion that it is not a UFO. It is a saw-wet owl. Now, a saw-wet owl, you can go right online and click a little button and listen to the call of a saw-wet owl. It sounds like a car back up, very mechanical, little tooting noise, beep, beep, beep. You know, you listen to them side by side, just straight, you know, straight ears. You know, you listen to the recordings that Lindy Tucker has presented, and you listen to a saw-wet owl. Saw-wet, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. saw whet owl is going to sound a little more flute like the recordings of lindy tucker sound a little more mechanical and but a, a researcher ronald stearman i think is his name of the university of texas and austin back in the 90s did an exhaustive amount of research on these two noises and he says they are not the same the call of the saw wet owl is not the same of what lindy tucker had recorded and then lindy tucker under very synchronistic circumstances collected all kinds of these things Mm -hmm. like they just kind of arrived in this very strange way you know so so she was doing research on exactly on the sound of a ufo the government dismisses this sound as an owl (laughs) <laughs> okay so here we have the owl connection she's got a recording the very first recording that she did that sent her on this journey that that then spawned all these synchronicities and getting more of this stuff the very first recording she does has an owl overlapping with the UFO sound this beeping noise mm-hmm. now she had she wrote up this report this excellent report kind of well worth reading It's on the site beepingufos.com she, uh, This is, goes into the Mufon Journal and they say, hey, the deadline's coming up. They tucked her on the phone like, oh, you got to get this thing. Got to get it in the mail. We got to get here for the deadline. This is back in a, the 90s, an ancient era where things like you take a piece of paper and put it in an envelope. <laughs> um, and so she's like, so our desk is messy. She's searching around. She's got this deadline. It's got its full daylight. The window's open. Summertime. She's got the... Then uh, she sees it, right? Oh, she finds the document. She puts her finger on it. And as soon as she touches it, this beeping noise comes in through the window beep 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 the same noise when she touches the document that argues that the beeping noise is not a saw owl but is instead a ufo um this is this is very strange stuff this is very strange stuff this goes well beyond uh like little little scientists in a metal spaceship flying here to to you know conduct some, some, uh, some experiments on, on the hapless humans that live on this planet, something much richer and much stranger is taking place than that very simple explanation. Yeah.
1: I mean, therein lay, you know, your entire journey, Mike. I mean, I remember you once saying that you don't mind not finding answers and that you enjoy living in the
0: mystery. Uh, what about these mysteries do you find most compelling? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like you get a like a mystery novel, right? So it's got a beginning, middle, and end, right? So yeah. you, there's a reason, like the, the the dime stores are, well, whatever. I'm not sure what's going on now. Like the the Kindle, you know, <laughs> rack <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it used to be like you'd have the little rack in the in the in the uh, drugstore with all the the paperbacks, the pulp paperbacks, and yeah. Detective novels and it's a mystery, you know, it's a murder right in the beginning and then they solve the murder by the end. But that's the murder at the beginning is inconsequential, the solving it at the end is is consequential. It's the it's the journey, it's the story of the detective, which is exciting. There's a reason why, like, you know, I mean, half the television shows in the 70s were detective shows it's a, it's a, it's a, it's solving a mystery is 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 part of the core human experience you know or like actually not even solving cuz i got to say that like but like when you're in the middle of a detective novel you don't want it to end a really good one right yeah. you, know, you read you read the long goodbye right by raymond chandler it's like it's like no don't end don't end um and it almost doesn't matter who the murderer is right you know mm-hmm. like at the end it's just going to be the you know the person you least suspect anyway so uh my sense is that, you know, that's hardwired into us kind of liking the mystery. And and I've gotten to the point now where, I mean, I've talked to you know, people feel like, you know, Richard Dolan says this. He's like, you know, I'm going to take a few years out of studying, you know, the, the historical documents on on the Cold War. And I'm going to put some efforts into uh, this UFO thing. I'm going to solve it and then, you know, sort of pat myself on the back and, and then take on another project.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He hasn't solved it. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of people say that. You know, like I felt the same way. Like I felt like, oh, like I'll just uh, just write up a little essay about UFOs and owls, and then I'll get that out of my system and I'll be done with it. And that's not what happened. Yeah, uh, it was a bottomless pit. You know, I pick owls, right? So there's like, as I said earlier, there's a paragraph here and there in any given UFO book and you know, mentions owls somehow or another. And um, sure, you know, like great, like a little teeny, the tiniest little point on the outlying boundaries of the of the core UFO phenomena is this owl stuff, but. You know what digging into it this you know you would think it would just be like a little a little aside in the literature, but it's just it's its own beast it is it's it's a bottomless pit, and not only a bottomless pit it's a bottomless pit of wonderfully engaging eerie evocative stories hmm. so so yeah, I don't have a good answer to 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 what it is, I, but it is has been just so fascinating. I've given up trying to solve it, mm-hmm. and I'm content with the mystery. Um, and yes, yeah, So I don't. I, I wish I had. A, I wish I had a good answer to that. But all I can say is that uh, it's it's been. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's changed my life. It's changed the direction of my life. This the, the question: Why owls?
1: Yeah. Why owls? Exactly. I mean, you have clearly lifted a veil of sorts on a very interesting topic pertaining to the UFO phenomenon as a
0: quote-unquote whole. Like you said, this is a small... Small fraction, of yes, this and then it over, and then it overlaps with other things. You know, of, the guy who says, like, you know, like I went out in the field and I meditated, and you I actually asked the world, you know, like, how can I be of service to the world? I need a sign. I, I want to give back to the world. How can I be of service? And he closes his eyes and meditates in this field, and he opens his eyes, and there's an owl in the yeah. field with him. You know, the 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 woman who's had UFO experiences, you know, goes in the woods and meditates, and and she says, I need to find my spirit name, you know, and then she opens her eyes, and there's an owl like right on the branch, right in front of her, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I, the the people who have seen you know the guy doing death research uh, is cataloged all these strange stories of owls showing up at people's homes after 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 a, someone has passed that doesn't ha- I mean some of this stuff doesn't have anything to do with UFOs but it does have to do with a deeper mystery that's beyond the veil in that realm where the owl would travel you know in that you know in that um, alternate form of reality you know yeah. So yeah, this this is it's been yes yes. So that was the, th- the you know the thing that sort of shook me up a little bit about this book was that you know like wow it did, this is blurs right. There's not a delineated line and the UFO thing doesn't stop at this one boundary. You step over the fence and then the 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 meditation thing begins. They they overlap.
1: Exactly. Well, I mean, and they continue as well, Mike. Uh, I mean, Ruber has it you're working on a a sequel to the book? Am I Well, it's a companion to the book and it's
0: not it's not a rumor, it's a fact. I've okay. been very open about it. So it's <laughs> i not, not giving away not divulging anything. So. Good, good, good. Um, but uh, so in the in the context of doing the book, you know what I found is that there's these stories, right? And this, it's like and this this is almost like and I actually used the term um, the paradox syndrome to describe these and that sounds a little lofty and I wish I had a better term but it was kind of like I needed to like say like you know kind of find these stories and they just there's they it's like there's an example here and I, I call it the paradox syndrome where you get a story and it doesn't make any sense it's long it's complicated it just page after page after page to write these accounts up and you talk go back and forth with the person and like well what else happened and oh and this other thing happened and it just goes on and on and on and on and and it doesn't make any sense. It loops back on itself. There's no point at the end where it just culminates and someone has an answer. It just is this loopy logic and it just, you know, a mess of synchronicities and owl stories and UFOs and uh, and they were too long to put in the book, right? So there's a couple that I did put in there, you know, that that have this quality. And um, I initially wanted to put all these stories as an appendix, just to have a set of, but it just didn't. It was, you know, wouldn't have worked in a book format. So the easier thing was just make a separate book. So yes, yeah, so the separate book is going to read hopefully like a collection of short stories, and I'll try to try to keep my speculation to a minimum and just let the stories stand on their own. But um, uh, so the the working title is Stories from the Messengers, it will have a cover very similar to the Messenger, the owl picture on the the present book and and hopefully they'll be available side by side and if one if you read one you might be you know uh, eager to read the other so they're just stories that are too long and too complicated and these long and complicated stories have a sort sort of um proof to me anyway you know the the weirdness the the, the almost the the irrationality of them uh ann streeper the wife of whitley streeper had a uh, like you know she said you know like I have a bullshit detector I've got a BS detector <laughs> and I and um if people tell me a story and it's not weird I don't buy it you know if you try to make up a UFO story it's gonna make up something logical right and yes. and if but that's not what people are telling people are telling illogical stories <laughs> so these stories are perfectly illogical I don't understand why they play out the way they do but um and then I you know I just wanted to um. So, yeah, so this follow-up book is uh, – is hopefully we'll read as a book of short stories.
1: Great. Um, and where can we find the recent book, Mike?
0: You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on my website. You can find it on Richard Dolan's website. Um, you can go to your local bookstore and walk up to the counter and say, can you look up a book by Mike Cleland called The Messengers? And they'll find it within a couple keystrokes. <laughs> uh, so it's out there, and I would prefer everyone go to their local bookstore because uh, they're not going to be around for long. So Absolutely. Um, those people have kids, and those kids are hungry, so you got to have... Yep.
1: You know, so. Support your local bookstore, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and wh- where can we find your other work, Mike?
0: There's my blog, is uh, hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. Um, I have been uh, mostly using it just promotion, I'm sad to say, it, but I've been so wrapped up in these books, things to so love. So the recent posts are kind of promoting the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff in there. It's a lot now that it's seven years old which we figured out this makes me feel a little weird that i've been doing it this long <laughs> seven years of blogging like this um uh, uh and then there's a bunch of audio interviews um uh, and there's even an audio reading of one of the chapters of the book mm. that's posted online there and that would be read by you <laughs> oh you shameless
1: promotion yes um i mean i've been captivated by your work for years now mike and it was an honor to read just one chapter um i look forward to hopefully reading more your work is prolific it is extremely relevant and i can't wait to see what you bring to the table next man and maybe we'll finally get some some of those messages we're all waiting to hear so i want to thank you for joining
0: us thank you so much it's been an honor
1: the skies is produced by third kind productions in association with antica productions and the antica podcast network to learn more visit antica productions.com
2: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
1: when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year 100,000 mile limited warranty you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible visit your local kia dealer today
2: to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner